0: It is 2024, uh, season three of A Conversation with Brian. And I am so honored that you all have stuck in there with us and hung in there with us and supported this journey of hoping that we spread the word of so many educators and other people who are just doing great things out there in the world. And we have a lot of people doing a lot of great things. We just need to tell their stories. Tonight's guest, our first of 2024, is Chris Burton, a dynamic figure with a Doctor of Ministry degree. And he plays now the role as Director of the Leadership Institute at Union Presbyterian Seminary. Chris is the force behind The Baddest Consulting, an anti-racism agency, and a recognized innovator in ministry. Chris, known as The Baddest Chaplain, brings his transformative message to social media and podcasts. As a Lupus Foundation uh, ambassador, Chris shares insights on justice and courage, drawing from his personal journey. So get ready for an engaging conversation with Chris Burton, a catalyst for change in our community, and just an all-around good guy. So without further ado, let's welcome to a conversation with Brian, Chris Burton. welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, thank you.
1: That was really cool. I, I, I like this intro. This is awesome. Like, oh.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> gotta do it up for you. Hey, um, again, welcome to the show, and you know, happy New Year's 2024.
1: Man, same to you. 2024 is going to be a year of magnitude. Man. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah good year. You know, this is my third season, and as I said, I'm really fortunate. I've had a lot of great guests and. Um, you starting off the year I really am honored that you've uh, joined us on the show what I do is um, I, at the beginning of each show I ask my guests to talk a little bit about their personal story their professional mm-hmm. journey just so my audience gets to know uh, my, my guests so who is Chris Burton
1: yeah you know there's over the years probably a lot of answers to that question <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I, you know it's, it's funny you asked me this because it was probably not until about 2022 going into 2023 mm-hmm. that I really started to think of myself primarily as an artist. And, and I, I say that because I right. think about how creation and part of this is, is sort of like a theological understanding of it, but I really understand creation and create creation and creating as something that never stops. Right. So if you ask a poet or a painter and you could be in the museum, you could be reading the book and, and you're admiring it, they, they generally kind of see like, Oh, I could have done this. Like, yeah. you know, like I'm seeing like a beautiful, like drawing behind you. If you ask the person who drew it, they're like, Oh, you know, I should have used like another shade of blue or like, yeah. like whatever is in their head. And I think of it as, you know, it allows me to really appreciate the journey far more than just the destination because we have so many destinations in life so if I were to just tell you oh I, I do this yeah that was true in 2010 but in 2015 right. I was doing something else and in 2020 doing something else in 2025 I may be doing something entirely different but what's stayed true throughout all of it is this understanding of myself as an artist as a creator and and I think that understanding kind of uh flows through everything I get a chance to do
0: would you say that and just reminds me when you say that is like, you know, I was talking to somebody recently um, and somebody said, Brian, you're a little bit different from when you were, you know, 10 years ago. And I said, yeah, I'm constantly evolving. Once I, right. I learn something or I have a new experience, it might change my perspective. It might give me a little bit more wisdom or a little bit you know, mm-hmm. more um, being humble because I thought I knew something that I didn't know. So you're constantly right. evolving. Like you said, there's no debt. There's, there's no end really. It's, it's like, you, this it's this kind of like the journey, as you said, you know, you want to, you know, embrace the journey.
1: Oh, certainly, certainly. Yeah. And I think otherwise you get so stuck in whatever thing you accomplished. Right? Sure. like think about yeah. it you know you' you're you were an athlete a great athlete if you just
0: Wait, uh, take the great out but I was an athlete Listen,
1: <laughs> if we if we I would say great because there's a lot of folks who have hoop dreams who didn't get you to do a slice of what you did you know what I mean so yeah. so we're gonna say great um but even with that, like I appreciate the humility in that but in the in the sense of you're not someone who's defining yourself by what you did yeah you, you, you're defining yourself by what you're doing and what you hope to do and I think it's sure. just something that, goes across all sorts of industries, all sorts of walks of life. I don't want to sit, I would never just want to be on this podcast only talking about what I did in 11th grade. I felt like I was the man in 11th grade, but yeah. I've done some more <laughs> things, you know what I mean?
0: <laughs> well, we have plenty of people who just kind of live in the past and yeah, yeah. stuck and you're right. And So you you always want to hopefully evolve and, and not rest on your laurels.
1: Right, right. right.
0: You know, your your educational journey includes degrees from Davidson, correct? Mm-hmm. Union yep. Presbyterian Seminary mm-hmm. and St. John's. Yeah. Oh, um, so how has your diverse educational background shaped your approach to your ministry and your anti-racism consulting?
1: Oh, certainly. Uh, I think about being, you know, I was 16 when I was graduating high school. So I I remember- You're a youngster. Young. And it didn't feel oh. young, but now I'm like, man, 16 is young. You know, like, it's uh. kind of that mindset um, of I wanted to go far away from home. Like, I, I, I grew up in New York. I lived in New Jersey. Yeah. So to me, going to school in North Carolina at Davidson, I was like, this is like far away enough from home. I didn't want to, yeah. like, you know, go to the West Coast or out of the country, but I wanted to make sure that I could kind of- do things on my own and i remember just not really knowing how to like process that sense of culture shock um with with being outside of new york because you don't realize as a new yorker necessarily especially as a 16 year old you don't necessarily realize how different the rest of the world is yeah you know so i I think different the rest of the country is different the rest of the country is yeah Yeah. so so there's kind of like this subway map that's just like burned into my head that I kind of just use for life like all the sure. lessons that I learned from the subway that don't necessarily translate to, to other parts of the country so I, I say that and then going from uh, you know a, a liberal arts school in North Carolina to a seminary in, in uh, Richmond and I remember going into my uh, or in my senior year when I was talking to my my roommate one of my best friends uh, a godparent for one of my kids and he's from South Carolina, he's from Charleston. And I was right. saying to him, yeah, I'm going to go, I got the scholarship and going to the seminary in Richmond. He's like, man, Richmond is different. And I was like, bro, we just did four years in the South. Like I understand <laughs> it. I got you, blah, blah, yeah. blah. But he was right. Being in Richmond was another learning curve for me. And so, so it just was continuously understanding like, Oh, this stuff is going to be different. And, and then taking that now, after I finished uh, my master of divinity, I was going straight into a master of ed program as a a new york city teaching fellow at st john's and there was a sense of first the sort of sticker excitement like st john's like you know basketball head so oh St. john's this is gonna be fun um but it's a completely different learning style teaching style at st john's Mm -hmm. compared to my union my seminary or even davidson uh for undergrad so how it translates to ministry is it's allowed me to hyper-focus on the value of hospitality. I think that allowing, uh, something that has stayed with me is when you read, you know, uh, God's message to the um, people of Israel uh, delivered through Moses, mm-hmm. there's this recurring theme of emphasizing kindness to the stranger, kindness to the sure. widow, kindness to the orphan, because you were once a stranger in Egypt, yeah. right? And so, and then Jesus obviously tells a story about like a good Samaritan and mm-hmm. there's this understanding of you need to help folks out. And yeah. I think if I hadn't had the experience, so let's say I stayed, you know, in Brooklyn, with went to, went to, you know, Brooklyn College or something mm-hmm. and, and just like, you know, never really left the environment that was familiar to me. Right. I wouldn't have the same level of empathy for someone who is new to town or someone who, you know, doesn't know the way how to how to get from the, the four to the two train like so you
0: were a stranger when I was you, a stranger, you yeah
1: precisely so it's allowed me to take that as a core principle of my ministry and just how I try to move through the world is with this um embedded default setting of hospitality
0: yeah did you always have this um spirit of of giving and where did that come from
1: I I think I saw my family uh, as very generous people, you know, Mm -hmm. like I grew up, um, uh, with, with, you know, a lot of cousins around my aunts, and uncles, and just this, this sense of, you know, you help folks out and it wasn't just, you know, sort of like the insular, we help each other out only. I saw, you know, you know, I have an aunt who volunteers, um, and, and helps people who are experiencing like domestic violence or, you know, um, currently experiencing, um, houselessness and homelessness. I've had I've aunts who were teachers. My mom worked at Head Start. My my grandmother babysit everybody. It feels like and it was so, all around me. Like, just all around me. Just all these right. different lessons, and and I think it's even translated into how I, I I think about myself now as a father. This whole sense of it's not just what I'm going to tell my boys as much as like what I show them. Yeah. and like and how i live is going to tell them a lot more than like me being like don't do this or don't do that like it's how you live that really t- teaches that lesson so i think i learned a lot about giving this from the the adults in my life and the way that you know service was just a value that you know was instilled in me
0: yeah where the, the the baddest chaplain come from oh that's what i
1: remember when um uh, I had taken a year off of seminary, uh, and so I moved back, back home, excuse me, back home, and was living with my grandmother for a year, and just trying to figure things out. Uh, yeah. So, I, you know, it was the first time, and that's why I loved your first question about. Who am I? Because it was the first time that I couldn't have answered that question by saying, oh, I'm a student body president or I'm a student at right. Davidson or, or I'm, you know, attached to something that would make you go, oh, like, wow, Like yeah. I just, sure. you know, was home and, and didn't necessarily even have a plan. And what I did have was a sense of I know this isn't a permanent situation, so I just locked in and a friend of mine had introduced me to this uh, method of reading the bible i think it's uh started by a professor named grant horner Mm
0: -hmm. where i would
1: read 10 chapters of the bible every day so every morning i would just get up and just like right 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 and at that point twitter was just starting right like twitter twitter at this point was the wild wild west it was just anything (laughs) happening no no nobody was there were, there were no police on the street you know yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. and so I wanted to kind of you know move the algorithm as best as I could just like you know probably like trying to sweep up the beach but like yeah. I, I had this sense of what if I posted my uh bible study notes on twitter every morning so like sure. as I'm reading scripture I'll just post things there and then and, uh working on that working on that meanwhile I knew that uh, I wanted to go into teaching. I, I felt this uh, this this uh, inkling of that and eventually received a, a, a calling to go teach uh, as a chaplain at, a, at an Episcopal school in Charlotte. Right. And so, you know, I come from a Jamaican heritage. I come from, uh, you know, a, a child of like dance hall culture.
0: Sure. And
1: so, you know, within that, within like pathway, if you say something like the baddest, it's like, you know, this is the best thing going. You know, this is like, <laughs> top ratings, like high, like, like high praise given to it. So when I um, saw it, I was like, you know, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be the baddest chaplain alive. Like, I'm not just going to be like, you know, oh, I'm just going to do yeah, this a little love bit. Like, yeah. I want to be the baddest chaplain. And from yeah. that, that this like, yeah, it just took off from
0: there, you know? Well, it's a, it's a great hook and uh, not, you know, just a hook. It's just something that, you know, I, I believe, and I think you believe, you know, if, once you connect with somebody and you, you can make a connection, then you can go deeper. Yeah, you yeah. Got to hook them, and then you got to get them in, and so they're probably like you know like I'm asking, what is the baddest? And right, so, right, right. So you can go deeper. You know, you you mentioned something, and, and this is not in my notes, but you mentioned you know being student body president at Davidson. Yeah. Um, where did you know? Had you always had like, or or did you have kind of political aspirations, or is it something that somebody said, you know, I I see something in you, Chris. This is something that I think you should do, or something that. That you just you know felt like um it was uh important to do because you could help influence people mm-hmm. uh, in different ways or all of the above
1: you know a little bit of everything from the time i was in third grade i was involved in like student government stuff okay you know I yeah. remember uh, we had a great teacher uh, at, at my uh, elementary school, PS 44. Her name is uh, Miss Barton, and Miss Barton, and obviously my last name is Burton, so people, were like, yeah, Miss Barton, your mom? Like, no A's there. You, <laughs> <U's there." laughs> like, so she was the teacher in charge of the student council, and I, I guess up until that point. The sort of like, it it was almost, and it's amazing. My school, just as as an aside, they changed their name from like the Israel Putnam school to like the Marcus Garvey school. And it was a very like black conscious school, amazing space. And We didn't just have, you know, what you typically have, just like, oh, we're running for president. You're running for vice president. You Mm -hmm. ran almost like as a cabinet, right? So you have these two parties within the school. I forget Uh what they call like the delegates of truth. They were like these really amazing uh, names. And so I was a part of a cabinet that was... All like third and fourth grade kids, so like little kids running against like fifth and, and uh incoming sixth graders, sure. and and we won. Like we had, I don't remember what we offered people like treat pizza <laughs> on Friday. I don't know what we said, but we won. And I remember just getting that. Like I'm getting like goosebumps just thinking about it. I haven't thought about it in a while, but like we just had this sense of man we can affect things. And I remember we put on like a fair. So we took the wow. playground. We had a, a, um, a giant, like street fair, street party for for the community. <laughs> and from that, any level of school I, 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 um, was a part of, I always ran for student government. Yeah. And, and, and so, and I, so I was student by president in high school and then student by president again, college. And it's just a sense of, I don't know, at some point, definitely, I was like, I should be president of the United States as like a little kid. I'm sure I am sure I had that that feeling, but I see politics as something that at its core is supposed to help make sure that our society is a place where everyone can thrive, that it doesn't have to be something where, you know, you voted for me, so I'll make sure your, your street gets sure. paved and the people who didn't vote yeah. for me, they have potholes. It has to be something where we're taking care of everyone and then tying my theology into it I really have this this beautiful dream about how society's supposed to function where 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 love is the system where we're not just treating each other any old kind of way, but we're taking care of everybody. I, I don't think that's impossible you know?
0: you know it's interesting as you talked about your experience as a as a elementary school student and that student government that form of student government and the the opportunities that you said all the kids got yeah. um, that shaped you that helped. oh yeah of who you are and, and and so I always think about this thing when I when I wrote my book and when I when I share with people this 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 um kind of this thinking of the opportunity gap
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah, so, yeah. You
0: know, what what if you and your your classmates didn't have those opportunities right how would that change your, tra- your trajectory and I think that's always something that I I um hammer home with people it's like you know this kid is not smarter than the next kid this kid had an opportunity had more experiences or had just the 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 the, the support that mm-hmm. the other student didn't have and so that's how they got to where they are and so um and, I, and i'm not saying we should ever hold anybody back for you know and i i want people to sure. achieve but i also want us to always think about you know this just society and not not saying everybody has to do the same thing but right. just just to me means that Everybody has endless possibilities. That's it. You know?
1: That is it. Absolutely.
0: When you started your consulting in <clears throat> anti racism advocacy in your consulting um, business, can you talk a little bit about, you know, what your thinking was in terms of um, working with churches and private schools and, and others um, when starting that consulting business?
1: Sure. I, I think my first thought was I didn't realize I've been in this business for a long time, but I was just doing it for free. I,
0: that was the first thing yeah. I thought about. It. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep.
1: I was like, I've been doing this for years. I didn't. Re- I, didn't
0: realize. I think we all realize that. Like doing a lot of, you know, I think, and especially as educators, right, we're Asked to do a lot of things outside of, you know, oh. our job or, or outside yeah. the, the nine to five. Yeah. And we're doing a lot for free, and we're realizing, wow. Um. This people get paid for this.
1: Oh, a hundred percent. So this is definitely a part of that, like other other duties that's assigned. As assigned. Yep. <laughs> you yeah. know. Yeah. Um. But but yeah. This this desire. Uh. You know. The first school where I where I ever taught, like I mentioned before, it was an Episcopal school, so it was an independent school, mm-hmm. and you know we had to not just because of a contract, but a sense of you know the kind of uh, educators that we are. Um, we had to make sure that our kids could thrive there. And when I say our kids, I really meant all of the children there because mm-hmm. my whole philosophy on on why to be anti-racist, why to um, um you know emphasize inclusion and equity and diversity and belonging and all these other other words like this is because when you have this emphasis, it allows all kids to do well. I, I think when we continue to, you know, emphasize, the current system of segregation and, and apartheid and just really uh, oppressing people, those who are at the top of that society also suffer. Like, you know, there's so much fear that captures people. There's so much brokenness that captures people. And for me, I viewed it as a, a, an instrument of bringing folks together and showing that, you know, we can disabuse ourselves of myths scare- of scarcity. We don't have to act as if there's only two cookies in the cookie jar. There, there's plenty of cookies in the cookie jar. Everybody can get something. So- for me, it was really a, an understanding of how do I take this message and really not necessarily like oh I have to weave theology into it, but I saw how it lent itself to right. the to, to a theological understanding. So bringing this to both churches and and I started out working with um you know explicitly Christian schools, but I've evolved my my stance to really just working with communities in general because. I'm not going into a community that, you know, maybe non-religious. And I said, my goal is to make these people have the same beliefs as me. That's not the point, but I do want to show these instruments and tools that I have can be effective for them. So when I will talk about the story of Esther and the sort of courage that um, someone like queen Esther has to, you know, speak truth to power, like she was speaking to the King who, if she said the wrong syllable to that could be the last thing she ever says. Right, Right. And that's something that translates across cultures, across social locations, the need for courage, the need to have the sort of boldness when you know you're doing the right thing. So it's really been uh, uh, that sort of mission. I've been able to put out a couple of uh, eBooks to support it. And I've been working with uh, uh, churches and schools uh, continuously uh, since we started this work formally in, in, in 2020. But as I said before, when I when I started it, I, I just kind of started kind of looked back and said, My goodness, I, I've been in this business for 20 plus years and I didn't yeah. even know it, you know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and how do you keep the conversation civil when people um, sometimes get defensive? When yeah. we're always and, and I know I'm I'm I know in my heart, and I think you know in your heart, we're always coming from a good place, but right. have different experiences and they sometimes get defensive defensive. How do we help them and help people understand that we are coming from a place of love? in um, that we are wanting to move all people forward.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I try to, you know, obviously, like any good facilitator, you establish group norms, right? So you kind of yeah. establish. So to me, it's unfair to people if you kind of just go into the work cold and say, okay, like, you know, what's the problem here? or Whatever yeah. your approach is. If you don't say something as simple as, you know, we're going to speak from the eye perspective. Yeah. And then someone doesn't speak from the eye perspective and you're like, dinging them on that, that's not fair to them. So you have to, I, I think it's just good practice to let people know, here's here's sort of like the established arena of, of, of what we can do. But even beyond that, I I feel like every single, you know, community I've worked with, I've always had at least one person who was very vocal in their descent from, from sure. whatever uh, the group goal was. And it's really taking the time to listen to the person Um, unfortunately, there are times where you can tell, you know, I'm thinking about one instance where I worked with an organization where, as the gentleman was complaining to me, I was almost able to finish the sentences for him, like I could just hear the source of his material. Um, so there are times where you're you're talking with a person and and you can tell, in spite of your good intentions, in spite of um, your desire to have civility folks have dug their heels in and yeah. and, and there's a, a real deep underlying fear in, in most of those cases, if not all of those cases. And so I just try to do my best once again, that to hold that space to have the hospitality. I don't desire to just sort of shut people down or to block folks online. Yeah. I don't desire to do any of that. I really want to make sure that people can, you know, articulate themselves in a respectful manner and, and just have it be a common sense of, of, we're not going to tolerate just like a blatant disrespect or like name calling and that kind of thing, but really just allowing it to be a space where people can process it. Because I- I'll tell you this, and this wasn't a part of my business, but it was a part of my work. I, I had a-, a classmate who, when we started doing uh, protests um, here at the seminary around 2014, mm-hmm. it was around the time of Ferguson and, yeah. and when uh, everything happened with the um, murder of Michael Brown. And I had a classmate who, you know, I never talked to him actively, but I would notice he'd wear like a Confederate belt. Right. And I just kind of, I was just like, man, I'm not going to deal with him. You know, in my mind, I'm just like, sure. I'm a clan member, I don't know. Yeah. And so um, he wrote me a, a letter by the, like, I think by the time he was graduating or, or by the end of that semester, saying to me that he had thrown it away, that he was no longer wearing it because of the work that he saw me doing on, wow. on campus and some of the talks wow. I've given And i just thought it was like such a powerful thing and we ended up having a good rapport and and, and, and a decent relationship but to me that's a testament of like number one you can't give up on anyone yeah and and number two like you have to be persistent and persistent and consistent in your message because if you come at it and i think there's a lot of folks who are so convinced on how right they are that they forget that the truth has to be given in love yeah they come at it from such a, a place where they're so convinced that they're right they don't care about how it hits you.
0: you're, well, gonna,
1: you're gonna lose people.
0: well, that becomes of condes- condescending too hundred
1: percent yes, happens,
0: people are going to just turn you off right right. The story you just told that's 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 really powerful. and I you know one of the things that just hits me is that you weren't all over him. you you just stayed consistent with your message and he probably just witnessed you and he was like, right. well, I know this is a good guy. I mean, I, I think a lot of things you know start and end with relationships
1: of course right.
0: in positive relationships and, mm. and so you you all had something in common yeah, right um, right right and but somehow you changed him
1: mm-hmm. yeah i just that, i i just was amazed by it and it meant a lot to me um to do that too because it gives you hope because there's a part of it where you're doing whatever good work you're trying to do there's always that sense of like hopelessness that despair that kind of right. seduces you to make you say like oh man just go home nobody's going to do this but you have to stay at it you have to stay at it
0: yeah so somebody told me one time and this is kind of just a random aside you know when i started um doing um my podcast and i started doing some other things and i was posting online and one of my buddies he's you know he's prolific in terms of social media and he posts a lot he said brian don't look at your likes right be consistent yeah just post just yeah. post because it's from your heart, it's from your 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 skills, your knowledge, just post. Yeah. Because if you keep looking at your likes and you get one or two likes, you're going to get demoralized. Oh, easily. And so for us, if we truly, if our why is to change humanity, I mm-hmm. don't care how many likes I get, I'm going to keep doing what I do. Right. You know?
1: that's it. That's it. So, you're always amazed. Social media is tricky because you can often feel like you're just throwing it down a well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. You
1: know, but it's it's making an impact for
0: sure. I'm going to change gears a little, uh, a little bit, and then we'll come back to some of your work. But um, one of the the things that I really think is um powerful and has has I think, and you probably don't realize how much you've influenced people, um, is your journey, your health journey with lupus. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about um your journey with lupus and what you're doing now with the lupus foundation? But You've experienced something that most people have not experienced, and what you've taken with that, taken through that, from what I understand, is this this idea that pain and suffering doesn't have to be the end of it, right? It can be the beginning of it. Yeah. So, so a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. No, I I was diagnosed with lupus uh, twelve years ago, and you know what always hits me is that it was at the beginning of so many things. Like it was the beginning of my teaching career. Um, Mm. I'd been married uh, six or seven months before I got diagnosed. Um, And it was just a a point in life where, you know, your possibilities early twenties. So my possibilities felt like endless. I was like, I can do anything. And, I think I sort of lived into that because I was all gas, no brakes. Like I just kind of, uh, all, 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 yeah, all gas, no brakes. That's right. Yeah. So I just kind of lived my life um, as, as fully as I could.
0: Like a hundred miles an hour.
1: A hundred miles per hour. Yeah. And yeah. I did not appreciate things like slowing down. Like I, I and I, I sort of had like a, a overall culture, like New York culture, Jamaican culture, my family culture of, if you're laying down in the middle of the day, like you must be sick. Like something's no wrong with you. Like you, You're taking a nap. No, I'm not taking a nap. Like I, it, it's so real that even in college, like on a Friday afternoon before like going out to parties, I remember just walking around like, where is everyone? I didn't know people <laughs> were taking naps. I didn't know people were just wow. chilling before I was <laughs> always going. And so what, what it really did was like, number one, just made me slow down and yeah. I remember I, my cousin, my older cousin, um, was really a brother to me. He, he had told me, cause I was the kind of person, pre-lupus who would stay up all night and wake up early. You know, like I just, I yeah. just was up. Like I really didn't sleep that much. Um, and and when, and then when I slept, it was like, I went to hibernation mode. I was like, completely out. yeah, but it, it, it really was something where I just didn't slow down and i see so much more clearly now that i take things in a much slower way like i still feel like i'm making an impact as a matter of fact i think i'm making more of an impact because i'm more deliberate rather than just trying to like touch everything that's moving i'm now like really focused and feel more clear but lupus is something where it really you go through a deep sense of grief because you you think about what you once were able to do like so for example um like i loved basketball i was playing i was a coach um, for my middle school kids and i would play with them as a teacher like after school and you know play often and i was like i can't do this if i want to have any semblance of a quality of life like i have to really pare down the amount of times i play basketball just listening to my body like my body is not enjoying full court games. Like, it's just not, it's not having a good time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and just thinking about the ways in which um, you sort of have to redefine and re-understand how you're going to be. So I remember going through a lot of sense of grief in, a, in, in, in different episodes of Law. So I was like, will I be able to teach again? Like just the simple mm-hmm. thing of being a teacher who walks around a classroom is that something I'm going to be able to do? Will I have the energy for it? You know, will I have the energy to, uh, you know, I was standing up and like just washing dishes uh, and and like dripping sweat, just trying to change a light bulb, dripping sweat. I was like, are there going to be things that I want to do just as a husband, as just as a man in my understanding of that, that I won't be able to do just because of, of this disease that has no cure. So just thinking about, how all of that led itself to this uh, tremendous sense of grief for, for, for many years. And where it's ended up now is that now I have the, the privilege as you mentioned, to serve as an ambassador for the Lupus Foundation. And as a part of that, I I've, I've run now like a support group, one that's actually starting um, in January called the uh, Lupus Warrior Well, where we're gonna come together virtually and just really share our story, encourage each other, and just lift each other up and just, uh, you know, make sure that, you know, something that affects a lot of us when we first get diagnosed is the sense of, I'm by myself. This is the disease that I may have never heard of or disease right. that, you know, I only saw in like that Seinfeld episode where George Costanza thought he had lupus or whatever yeah. it is, you know? There, there's so much misinformation out there, but, you know, this is a chance to share the information, to share the encouragement, just continue to say we we've got this so i've participated in lupus walks over the year um been able to go to capitol hill uh and and speak of, about lupus and, and you know just really try to help educate folks one of my favorite activities i do is uh annually with the uh this foundation called you got this kid um, uh-huh. foundation i get a chance to speak to um medical students some of whom are going to become rheumatologists wow. So yeah. it's really this amazing opportunity. And I and I said this um, to other, other people's warriors that isn't it fascinating that this thing that feels like it's ending our lives and feel like it's like ruining our lives has allowed us to meet some of like the best people we've ever met and yeah. some of the like best experiences we've ever had. And just this is like this deep, almost like fraternity that forms because yeah. of you know, Oh man, you, you're on that medicine. I've been on that medicine before. Make sure you do this. Like you're able to take care of each other in, in a yeah. really powerful way.
0: You know, I, um, you know, I'm looking down because I, I sense a, a, every, every morning I try to read something inspirational yeah, yeah, and, um, you know, try to reflect on how I can do better. Cause I, I'm, I'm constantly making mistakes. I'm constantly thinking like reflecting on what do I need to do to become a better person, which is, is, you know, it's always mm-hmm. deep in my head. I don't share it a lot, but it's deep in my head. Yeah, yeah. I with a couple of my, my close friends, and this morning I shared something from Kareem. Yeah. Um, I, I, I sub- subscribed to his newsletter. Yes. But one of my friends wrote back, you know, because it was talking about this idea of um, losing together. Right. Uh, and, you know, it's 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 great to win, but um, it's also important. And in the, the article was just talking about how this one person was a coach and he was, his team was not winning. Um, and his players came to him and said, you know, we're trying as hard as we can, but coach, if we lose together, then we can share the wealth. Like we can, we can spread the stress and not have it all. Right. On you." And so you, when you were just talking, it reminded me, it's not like you're losing. It's like my my friend said this, he said, um, you know, one of the things sayings that one of my friends says is joy shared is doubled Misery shared is halved, you know, yeah, so I, I think you know, when you're in something that's really deep and you know, physically or psychologically or socially, right. and it's really weighing on you, um, it's important. And I, I think that's what you do is, is, you know, with your lupus on um, work is to make sure nobody goes alone.
1: Right. Right. You no, know? absolutely. I, I, I love that. Um, it, because it's just such a isolating feeling, you know. If, if this happens, there's some people who are diagnosed with this. You know, they're they're young girls who are just starting puberty, so they're like eight years old. Yeah. when this happens. Wow. I, I can't imagine how isolating it is to to have that happen. And so, for there to be a community, a diverse community, folks all sure. over the country, um, um, who were able to to talk about this and and, and really hold each other together it, it's a it's really like a, a beautiful expression of community you know like it, it's just we're, we're bonded by something that's that's truly on its face unfortunate but it's allowed um, so many of us to have this you know lifetime of, of friendship and relationships based on you know this commonality that we share so yeah i i really love that understanding of misery being halved because i've experienced that
0: yeah well, I take my hat off to you and and all the people who are you know in, in, engaged in this this and I, I don't know if I should call it a fight or a, a an opportunity to um, share with the world your your um your journey
1: oh uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's equally both because it's definitely yeah. definitely a fight um but yeah. an opportunity to share for sure,
0: Chris, let's change gears again. You have a podcast and yeah. Um, you are doing me a favor a solid because i came on your pod, your podcast but um talk about your podcast um you had one um cross streets which you started you know yeah. that was your first podcast and you hosted mm-hmm. another person mm-hmm. um talk about cross streets and how you really had these deep conversations and you know i think i remember one of the conversations you were having with somebody in brooklyn one of the i don't know if it was at a barber shop or somewhere but yeah you, yeah interviewing somebody and you you talk about race, culture, soul care, all the things that are embracing our world today. And, and you do such a great job of, of, again, allowing people to, you know, feel comfortable in that space of conversation.
1: Thank you. Yeah, no, Cross Street started, uh, with a different of mine, Brittany Bongiorno. Um, she runs a a production company um, in Los Angeles called Ken Media. And, uh, Brittany and i we uh, became friends because we were attending the same church and we had this desire to really you know that first season all of our guests were um our neighbors in brooklyn right so she lived in uh we both lived in central brooklyn but i lived in bedside which borders uh crown heights which is the neighborhood i was born in right so uh you have all these different stories you know. One of my friends from elementary school, who was a college basketball player, cancer survivor, teacher—just you know, all these brilliant things. A, a brother who migrated up from uh, the south and is an artist, a painter, and, and sure. owns like a um, a, a you know, a, a, a art gallery. All these different stories, just from our neighbors. And then that second season was when the quarantine was happening, and we were like, we were. Kind of in pre production, and they were like, Oh, right. we can't make this happen at all, right? But thankfully, we were able to because that first season was all like in person interviews. Like, we sure would lug our our equipment across the burrow, like, we're <laughs> in the barbershop with equipment. Yeah. Um, my man, uh, he's no longer with us, um, but my man John, the barber, he was cutting hair so you he can hear the yeah, m- yeah, I remember the episode, <laughs> <laughs> and uh. It it was just such a fun experience to do it in person. But the challenge was can we create that same quality of conversation, you know, virtually? Like, you know, obviously the answer now that we're doing this now is yes. Sure. But at that point we were like, We've only done podcasts in person. We don't know if we can do this yeah any other way. And it ended up being such a fun uh season where we talked to just a whole bunch of people. It felt that season, season number two felt like it wasn't ever going to end in the best way. Like we just feel like, sure. what about this person? What about this person? Cause we realized that with virtual, we can talk to as many people as we yeah. want, cause we're not yeah. lugging equipment all over the place. And at that point she had moved to uh, LA and I, I moved to long Island. So we couldn't even, uh, you know, meet physically anyhow. So sure. that third season, we uh, were able to say, you know, we're going to talk to some really uh, um, folks who are doing things nationally because we, Tried in that second season still to kind of stay with New York and tri state sure. area, but third season we expanded and it really just ended up being, uh, as you mentioned earlier, like a conversation about race and soul care. And this is really this if I can kind of like boil soul, soul care down for people, it's really this understanding of the ways in which New Yorkers use you good, right? Yeah. Like to just be like. What's going on with you? Like, how yeah. are you? And just really trying to cut through the pleasantries, trying to cut through the like, oh, everything's great. You know, I got my new my new job's doing great. Like, cut through all of that and just really get to. You are know, you okay? Are you okay? And, and yeah. it really it really became a, a a wonderful and therapeutic space that was also educational and allowed people who, frankly, hadn't interacted with black people to get a good sense of how we're human beings. Also, you know what I mean? Sure. Which is important.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You no, know, um, when I listened to a couple of the podcasts, it just made me think about how everybody, again, everybody has their story.
1: Oh, for sure.
0: And, and everybody's story is important, and everybody's yeah. story is their story. It's no their doubt
1: story. about it, no doubt you know? about it. Yeah.
0: Um, where do you go from here with you? You have a in your podcast now, um. You, uh, have, you know, interviewed a number of of, of great guests. I've, I've, uh, I've, you know, watched it. Um, you know, what do you, what do you view, you know, next steps for your podcast?
1: Yeah. And I love it. Um, I would say the next steps for the podcast is to really make sure that we're consistently going after, you know, guests that are part of the, like, sort of larger conversation online, you know, like people who, who are, uh you know, making an impact, but also with me now living in Richmond, I I have this sort of like dual focus of not wanting to give that foothold up and expand that foothold, but also make sure that I'm talking to my neighbors here and getting a good sense of, what's going on here and yeah. the pulse of it. Since it seems, you know, God's really parked the bus. Like, I'm like, you know, I, you I keep that's... looking at, I keep yeah. looking, I see God just has it in Pete. It's still parked. So I'm like, okay, we <laughs> like, are here for a little bit. You're there for a little bit, right? He's there for a little bit. So while while we're here, we're going to make the most of it in terms of really getting a chance to like talk to our neighbors and making an impact here. So I feel this sort of like dual vision of wanting to have these conversations um, on Baptist chaplain that are about theology and culture. And mm-hmm. I like that definition because it encompasses everything you know there's yeah. nothing I can't talk about because it's I'm a theologian. all the
0: above on. yeah
1: everything everything's up for grabs so it really allows us um to to have some fantastic conversations and it, I just feel blessed um by the opportunities to chat with people but also blessed by the fact that I'm you know people will tell me oh I love that episode you did with so-and-so and I'm like yeah oh cool it's making an impact on people that's cool yeah
0: um we're going to get to your nicks in a few seconds but my last question is for them <laughs> is um you you started this uh this idea of online of morning meds yeah um and 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 it really kind of talks about how it's like a rest stop for people um mm-hmm. and, and can you talk a little bit about you know where that concept came from i really think it's ingenious
1: thank you well it, it really is about you know like i talked about the main lesson i got from lupus was to slow down yeah and i i think that a lot of us because you know the age we're in the first thing you do in the morning you wake up you grabbing your phone before you like you didn't brush your teeth yet you didn't, no. you, didn't you even wipe the crust out your eye you just like <laughs> yeah. squinting at it kind of you got the phone yeah. and just thinking about if you're what they call doom scrolling right like you know if you know especially like when it's like a political cycle or something yeah. going on in the world yeah. you're just like oh what's next what's next? i want to once again just be that pebble in the ocean right but that pebble creates waves that create other waves. I I, I want to have an impact on the algorithm where I'm not just giving you, things are terrible, I want to help um, affect the course of your day by just reminding you that you love, reminding you that there's a hope. And that as a matter of fact, hope wasn't even made for good times, right? Hope isn't just about being an optimist. Hope is for terrible times. Like there's this great figure in church history named julian of norwich who wrote a poem and and one of the refrains in the poem is all will be well and all will be well she's writing during the bubonic play like things are terrible you know (laughs) but this whole understanding of all will be well is just so amazing to me so as best as i can i'm trying to remind people that you know number one wickedness has an expiration date so all the terrible things you see happening in the world it can't go on forever. As big and bad as it makes itself seem, it won't be the last thing that happens. So just trying to remind people of that, but also give people the fuel they need to get through the day. And I I feel like there's so many people I encounter who really just need something for today. And And as much as that sounds like just surviving, people really are just trying to survive. And my hope is that I can help people along that journey go from surviving to thriving.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. I think sometimes you just, are helping people and, and hoping that people can just take one more step forward and one yeah. more step forward. And they take, you know, after a while, they've taken 20 steps and they're out of that dark tunnel. Right. Realize that they're in, you know, they don't realize how, you know, if they, as you said, misery and, and it doesn't last forever. Yeah. Um. And, and so if they can just keep moving forward, eventually they can see, see that, that light.
1: No doubt about it. Yeah. Almost like when you're teaching the kid to ride the bike, and you're like, oh, you, yes. I stopped pushing you a long time yep. ago. Yeah.
0: They didn't realize it, but they're they're, they're pedaling. So that's pretty cool. Hey, all right, so let's talk basketball real Ooh. quick. Before we, we 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 leave. Your uh your Knicks yeah. are are actually not bad.
1: Actually, not bad. <laughs> you know,
0: don't understand how much
1: that of a championship that
0: is. <laughs> you know, so. Tell me a little bit about your experience growing up in New York. Um, yeah. First of all, why are you a Knicks fan and not a Nets fan?
1: Yeah. So that that one's really easy. Like I, I became aware of basketball in 1992. So this is when, like, you know, the Knicks had
0: Patrick Oh, Patrick Ewing, Ewing yeah. And and, 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 Starks.
1: and and John Starks. And I think at that point, like, Oakley was there, obviously. But, like, Oakley, yeah. David McDaniel might have been yep. there. Like, yep. it, it was a team that just seemed like we could do anything. Yeah. You know, except for something like... Two except, for beat,
0: except for beat Chicago.
1: There's some team in Chicago, <laughs> in, in the Midwest, that, like, kept getting in the way of our plans. But, <laughs> you know, I, I was just sharing this with um, my wife uh, earlier. I was like, you know, when Patrick Ewing was drafted... His like sort of player comp was Bill Russell. Like everyone thought he was going to be the next Bill Russell, yep. and he would have been if there weren't some kid from North Carolina who also <laughs> yeah. was playing basketball. Yeah,
0: <laughs> but there were some good days. I mean, there were some oh, yeah. years, and I I actually remember those years, and mm-hmm. um, and, and so there has been some lean times, but <laughs> certainly. Oh, you know, with uh, Brunson, he's a you know I I, I wouldn't. So for me, I, I at first I said I I was surprised, but everybody from what I talked to from who I talk to, they, they say this is who he is. He's, he's a player.
1: Yeah. And it seems like he wants, I think that's been the main trouble is that New York is not the kind of place where you can say, all right, we're going to regroup and retool and let these draft picks develop. We've been in win now mode since 1973. And that's been the problem, right? So with Brunson, this is not one of those players who like, feeling the pressure of the the big lights in Broadway and just yeah. falling to it. He wants that kind of stage. He yeah. wants to show his talents on the on the biggest stage there is. And I think he's up for it. And I see yeah. Randall, who has had such a rocky relationship with the fans, he, oh. he's playing his best basketball I've ever seen him play. It's, it's yeah, crazy. this year it
0: seems like he's, and he's, in. it seems like, again, you can tell, or I can tell from, you know, year to year or from space to space, it seems mm-hmm. like he's enjoying it.
1: He's having fun, which I've yeah. never seen him. Even in his years when he's made like all NBA, he was yeah. not having fun. Like yeah. he's having fun this year. I'm so happy for him like that yeah.
0: And so do you so you know, a few years back, I guess about 10 or 11 years back, you all had a a brief like spark. And I actually I loved yeah. I love the the Lin uh yes. time. Um and, and I have I've just become such a fan of his. I I right. so he, playing in the NBA, but he's not, um, yeah. for a number of reasons. But uh-huh. I think his story is a story that is just so inspirational. Um from, Absolutely. in the way he carries himself, even beyond, you know, you know, I, I think being kind of, you know, not, you know, I don't like to say blackballed, but he's he right. just not had the opportunity to come back to the NBA after um, you know, a number of different, you know, situations. But I think sure he has he has carried himself in a way where he's like, I'm going to, you know, take these, these lemons and make lemonade.
1: No doubt about it. He's a great ambassador for the game above all else. I think the way Jeremy Lin has inspired um, kids thinking about like all the um, Asian kids who didn't feel like, you know, basketball, something they could thrive in that Jeremy Lin has really been that shining example for it. But I just also just really love his, his his integrity and the way he's demonstrated that has been great to see.
0: Exactly. So are are the Knicks going to want uh, to make the playoffs? And two, um, are you predicting a at least a first round win?
1: I I am so far gone in how in my optimism for the Knicks. I, I'll talked about hope, Chris. Look, the 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 league is wide open as far as I'm concerned. And I, I don't see any reason why the Knicks can't make it to the conference finals or more. Well, I, I, really, yeah. I really don't. I, I, I think that, um especially with the ad of uh, OG Ananobi from Toronto, it was obviously sad to see RJ. Okay, and Garrett, yeah. go. Yeah. But I think it was a win-win. They're killing it in, the, in Toronto. Yeah. OG Ananobi's doing a great job um for us. And I don't think the front office is done because they have Evan Fournier's expiring contract on the books for like $18 million. You got to use that for something. And yeah. so, if they add like a Dejounte Murray or or Malcolm Bra- Brogdon or someone like just another bench piece, you know, or like yeah. a bench slash uh, starter piece, I I think we can knock off either uh, Milwaukee or Philly, and then the Boston Boston's the only one that's given us a whole lot of trouble. But you know, they're depending a lot on Porzingis, who we know is yeah. not dependable <laughs> long term.
0: <laughs> so so so, folks out there. This is the new NYX GM.
1: <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm telling you. I've got a path for us Yeah, We're going to do it. We're going to do it.
0: <laughs> well, Chris, I, I truly am thankful that you came on and took some time today. Um, your grace, your humility, your your compassion, um, your wisdom, wisdom. And in my intro, I said that that goodness that comes and just um, just oozes from you. Uh, is infectious and so I, I do appreciate you coming on at the end of all of my podcasts I use that this you know um, old African proverb um, as I go I am wearing you and as I meet people as I talk to people on my podcast and I've known you you know for a while um, for full disclosure Chris is married to my niece my brother's daughter um, And but just you know knowing your story and how you live your life um, you are, I am wearing you, and but so many people are wearing you because of um, the influence that you um, just kind of provide uh, to, to all the people who come in contact with you. So thanks for coming on a Conversation with Brian, um, and uh, we'll talk to you very soon.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you.
0: Subscribe to A Conversation with Brian on my YouTube channel and Spotify. <laughs>